Good morning, family. Good morning, Frontline Church. It's so good to be with you in the house of the Lord today. I'm so grateful to be able to preach this beautiful gospel to you, church. I count it a joy to be sharing the only truth that changes and transforms lives. I feel a real anticipation in the house this morning. Did you come expecting today? Are you ready to receive some life-changing truth this morning? Amen. What an amazing God we serve. Thank you to our worship team this morning for leading us so beautifully and so sensitively. Church, let's pray together this morning. Father God, we, we come to you today and we submit our lives to you in the name of Jesus, the name that is above every other name. Father, we acknowledge that Frontline Church is your church and we are your people. And so we ask that you would come and have your way in us today and purify us and refine us, Lord, so that you would come and have your way, Lord, so that we'd be Christians that would bear fruit and bring glory to your name in whatever we do. We don't want to be casual in our Christian walk, Lord, so let your word impact the deepest part of us today and may it bring life and light to where the enemy is trying to bring darkness and deception. We trust in your life-changing power, Lord. And so, Lord, I ask today that you would anoint my lips and the ears of those listening. I ask this all in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. amen and amen. Well, church, it's a privilege for me to be with you in the house of the Lord today. And this morning, we're going to carry on with our sermon series, If Not Now, When? We are in week five of the series now, and we just thank the Lord for His life-changing Word and guidance to allow us to become all that He wants us to be and do all that He wants us to do, because it is His heart that we would prosper in all areas of our lives. He wants us to do, discover the better version of ourselves as we realign our focus on what's really important in life so that we would get rid of all the periphery stuff that's only distracting us from walking in the fullness of what Jesus died on the cross for. The enemy's plan is for you to keep on repeating the same cycle in your life and, and not get breakthrough. And he will do whatever he can to steal your joy, your peace, your hope, and your faith. Right? Remember, he learns from your mistakes even if you don't. So the key focus of this series, church, is, is that we break those cycles as we become Christians that are committed to growth. And if not now, when? When are we going to do it? Are you going to wait until you, you finish school, if you're a young person? Are you going to wait until you are retired? Are you going to wait until you become financially successful? The time is now. And church, our motivation for this growth and, and bringing these different disciplines into our lives is so that we don't undercut our ability to serve God and develop fruit that reflects His glory. So just to recap very quickly, our, our key scripture throughout this series has been Luke chapter 2, verse 52, and we've been looking to Jesus as our perfect example. And we see how Jesus kept increasing in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and with men. So based on that as our benchmark, in week one of the series, we, we focused on the importance of wisdom. 
and using godly wisdom as we go through various trials in our lives to, to make the right choices in our lives. And we declared the month of November as the month of wisdom at Frontline Church as we all read the book of Proverbs together. In week two, we looked at stature and the importance of taking care of our bodies. And in week three, we looked at some of the practical ways we can balance our lives by highlighting certain areas where we may need to work on and improve. And we've been receiving some very encouraging feedback from people on how this has helped them realize the importance of bringing balance back into their lives and that it has shone a light on things that we at times all overlook, right? Because of the busyness of life just takes over. Church, it has certainly helped me take a good hard look at myself and, and what I've realized is that it's not an overnight process. I want to tell you this morning, hang in there. You have to keep pushing on to bring the necessary change. Don't give up. Last week, we focused on increasing in favor with God or in grace with God, and we spent most of our time looking at how P Peter expressed his passion about growth in 2 Peter chapter 1. And I know that I left you hanging last week. I didn't complete that message or that passage. But I'm trusting that the Lord will bring it to its fulfillment today. So church, I want to start by reading the verses that we covered last week, and then we'll get into the explanation of the rest of the passage. Have you got your Bibles opened at 2 Peter chapter 1? I'll give you a moment. We're going to start reading from verse 1. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge, the epinosis, that's the full knowledge or the authentic knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and to godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence, by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire." Church, last week we spoke about the concept of multiplication and how to cultivate the seed of the divine nature that we have received from God so that we can escape the corruption that is in the world. And remember, some of us are looking for stuff that we already own. And the way this is supposed to work, church, is your spirit is supposed to grow in your soul so that your spirit now dictates to your soul. And your soul being corrected by your spirit is going to give new information to, to your mind and to your body. In other words, your body begins to behave differently. You begin to think differently because your soul is functioning differently. But the soul only functions differently if the spirit has taken it over. And if the spirit is still remaining in seed form, the soul doesn't ever change. 
So the body doesn't function differently. You don't think differently. You don't act like you are set apart. So if you want to function differently in the body, if you want to think differently, if you want to develop fruit that leads to Christ-likeness, if you want multiplication in your life, there has to be a change in the soul. But there's only a change in the soul where there is development in the spirit. God wants your seed to grow. He wants to change me and he wants to change you. And he does that through the expansion of the divine nature. Now that raises the question that I left you with last week. How do we get that seed popping? How do we get that seed rumbling inside of us? How do we get it working and growing? How do I get the seed to spring forth so that the new nature begins to dominate? I'm not going to leave you hanging anymore. Let's look at verse 5. Peter starts off by saying, Now for this very reason also apply all diligence. Apply all diligence. In other words, what Peter is getting ready to tell you, take seriously. Applying all diligence, don't take what he's getting ready to tell you casually. Don't think that this is some small thing. All diligence means take it deadly serious. If you want the divine nature to express itself in your soul, then, then take this down seriously. He says, now for this very reason also, applying all diligence in your faith, that is your salvation. He's talking to born-again believers. He says, in your faith, supply. Now let me just pause at that word supply for a moment, because he's getting ready to list seven things that you and I need to do. Seven is the number of completeness in the Bible, and so he's going to give you seven things that will grow your seed to completion. And this is what you and I must supply. And you may be sitting there thinking, but, but wait a minute, Pastor, you told me last week that I already have everything that I need. So why are you now telling me that I need to supply something? Church, do you remember the images that I showed you last week of the baobab tree and its little seed? That seed has the whole tree and its possibilities in that one little seed, right? In that seed is all of its potential. But if you don't supply the soil, then the seed has no place to express its potential. The supply that he's talking about is not adding on to what God has already done. The supply that he's talking about is creating an environment so that all that is done can flourish. Come on. Let me give you an illustration. If you go to the grocery store and you go buy a two-liter bottle of Oros orange juice concentrate, in that two-liter bottle is about eight or ten liters of juice, right? But it's concentrated. It has been collapsed. But its design is to serve your whole couple of juices or jugs of juice, about 10 liters of juice. And what they tell you is to add water. Now, all the water is doing, church, is expanding what you already have in the concentrate. When you add water, what you're doing is expanding the juice's capacity to give you more. There's multiplication taking place. 
And when Peter says supply, he's saying create that which gives the seed the capacity to give you more of God. So what you're supplying is not adding something new to what God has already done. It's just giving that which God can expand on, that which He can multiply. It's providing the right conditions. So here's what you do. He says there's seven things that you and I need to do. He says supply, first of all, number one, it says in verse 5, supply moral excellence. Other translations use the word virtue. And what he's basically saying, church, is you must supply a high moral standard. In fact, he says, make it excellent. In other words, you need to have moral excellence to fulfill what you were designed to do. So now that you're saved, add to your faith virtue. When you till the soil and when you fertilize the soil... You are giving the soil what it needs to produce the crops that you want to have, right? So the first thing you do is you give the soil virtue. Then he says, add to your moral excellence or to your virtue, add knowledge. You see, church, faith is not blind. It, it must be informed. Or to put it another way, you cannot grow beyond what you don't know. You cannot grow beyond your knowledge of God or your lack of knowledge. In other words, church, to glorify God the way that, that He deserves, and remember as Christians, that's whatever we do, we need to make sure that we glorify God. And to glorify God the way that He deserves, God wants you to add to that virtue of glorifying Him more information. Because if I add more, informa more information, what did I just add? the ability to glorify him more. Because the more that you know about him, the more that you want to give him glory. Amen? You know, church, that's why people go for a master's degree in whatever they are aiming to become. They want to master a subject. They don't want to have just have the general information. They want to have the specific targeted information in a given field, right? And what Peter is basically alluding to here is that God wants you to become a master Christian. Not just a high school graduate Christian. Not just a Christian with a diploma, but a master degree saint. Because when you go for a master's degree, you collect more information. And not just so that you can be puffed up with knowledge. But because the more information you accumulate, the more you can glorify God. And the more your seed is going to start popping and growing. The more your seed is going to start showing growth that resembles the divine nature. Because now the seed is expanding in the soul. And your seed is going to, you're going to see some signs of fruit starting to squeeze its way out of that seed. In verse 6 he says, don't stop there. Add to your knowledge, add self-control. Self-control, church, means holding on to oneself. The definition of self-control is the ability to control one's emotions or behavior, especially in a difficult situation. Self-control is one of the fruits of the spirits, as mentioned in Galatians chapter 5, verse 23. 
and is very closely related to the word discipline. So in other words, church, do whatever you need to do to stay focused on your goal. Do whatever you need to do to, to stay focused. And why is this important? Because that's what the enemy wants to do to us. He wants to shake our focus. He wants to wear down our discipline so that we jump off the track, so that we get off the wagon, so that we lose focus and then we fall back into sin. We fall back into that same cycle. And Peter knows that's what the enemy wants to do. So he says, whatever you have to do, add self-control so that you keep getting the knowledge, so that you keep expanding the virtue that's piggybacking on your faith. Peter goes on to say, add to your self-control, add perseverance. Now church, perseverance in everyday language means, it means hang in there. It means don't quit. Don't throw in the towel. And perseverance is almost always related in the Bible to trials. When the Bible talks about perseverance, most of the times you are going through a rough time. It says, I know it's hard, I know it's tough, I know it's heavy. But if you're putting these other things into place that preceded this, I want you to add to your putting in place virtue, knowledge and self-control. I want you to add hanging in there. Persevere. Do you know why, church? Let me share a little secret with you this morning. The worse things get, the closer you are. The worse things get, the closer you are. Peter doesn't want you to throw in the towel or give up because the worse things get, the closer you are to, to whatever God is planning to do in your life. The worse things get, the closer you are to, to fulfilling your potential. Don't give up, persevere. Someone needs to hear that this morning. He says, persevere. And to your perseverance, add godliness. Now, church, this is very important because the temptation when you're persevering and things are becoming harder and harder, the temptation is for you to quit and say that I don't need this God thing anymore or to bail out on God. And I'm here to tell you this morning, hang on to living for God even though you don't see anything happening in the natural. Hang on to godliness. Church Matthew Henry says that godliness is a continual sense of God's presence and providence and a healthy fear of Him and confidence in Him despite what's going on in the natural. Otherwise, what happens, church, can happen is your perseverance may become pride. It may become lukewarmness or, or casualness about the things of God. So I want to say it again this morning. Hang on to living for God even though you don't see anything happening in the natural. Can we say amen to that? Peter goes on to say in verse 7, add to your godliness, add brotherly kindness. The Greek word for brotherly kindness is the word Philadelphia and is broken into two parts. 
the word phileo, which means love, and the word adelphos, which is brother. It literally means the love of brothers. And used in the New Testament, Philadelphia describes the love which Christians cherish for each other as brethren. Romans chapter 12 verse 10 reveals that it is through brotherly kindness that we can have kind affection toward one another. It is brotherly kindness, therefore, church, that provides a true sense of family in our association as, as members of the body of Christ. And listen to this, church. Without sincere love for brethren, the Apostle John wrote that any claim to love God or even to know God is impossible. If we truly desire to grow in our knowledge and love for God, then it is essential that we develop brotherly kindness. Jesus also made love for the brethren an identifying mark by which the world can know that we are his disciples. That's what it says in John chapter 13. And church, any attempt to proclaim Christianity to someone in the world, to a non-believer, will therefore always fail to really appeal to them unless it is accompanied by a visible demonstration of true brotherly kindness among Christians. You see, Peter is speaking to persecuted believers and wanting to restore their hope. And even though they were going through trials, he says, show brotherly kindness. He was encouraging them to minister to one another. And you know what? He's saying the same thing to us today. You're going through trials, and I know it's tough. But if you want your seed to grow, church, here's one of the keys to, on how to make it happen. Find a brother or a sister who's going through something similar to what you're going through and minister to them. And you may be sitting there and, and thinking, listen, I'm the one who needs some brotherly kindness here. Right? Because I'm going through something tough. I need help. My life is in turmoil. And you're now asking me to minister to somebody else. I know what you're saying, church. I know what you're saying. It's tough. But remember what Luke chapter 6 verse 38 says. It says, give and it will be given to you. And that's not just talking about finances. Read the whole passage in its context. And it concludes by saying, and the measure by which you give, it will be given or be measured to you in return. You pour it out to a brother or a sister. So if you need healing to whatever degree you are able, minister to somebody else who needs healing. If you are battling with depression as tough as it, as it may be and as best as you can, church, minister to someone else who is depressed. If you are going through marital problems, and, and I know it's hard, but minister to somebody else who is going through marital issues. Whatever you are needing, give. And I know this doesn't make much sense in the natural because you know what? You have your own need. But there's a deeper spiritual significance here, church, because what's going to happen is your seed is going to start shaking because God is starting to see you act like Him. Come on. God's nature is begin, beginning to shake within you. The seed is now rumbling and shaking and bouncing around because it's becoming what it was meant to be. Then Peter says on top of that, 
the last one, add to your brotherly kindness, add, add love. And church, why do you think love comes right after brotherly kindness? You see, brotherly kindness is from a brother to a brother or a, a sister to a brother, right? That's an, to another Christian. That's somebody who's on your side, somebody you don't mind talking to or, or dealing with because you have certain things in common. You are brothers and sisters in, in Christ. But I was reminded of Romans chapter 5 where it says, but God demonstrated His own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. When He talks about love here, He's talking about people that you don't naturally gravitate to. People you may go in the opposite direction when you see them coming. This has to do with ministering to the irregular people in your life. I mean, it's one thing ministering to somebody who you know that you don't mind talking to. But that person, I don't really like the way that they do things. I'm not so sure that I want to reach out to them. You know, they're not, they're not my kind of people. They, they are just a, a bunch of sinners. But God demonstrated His own love toward us in that while we were sinners and while we were still judging people like that, Christ died for us. You know what Peter is saying, church? He's saying, go there. Reach out to those people. Because now, church, the seed is going crazy inside of you because now you're acting like why Jesus came and died. You are acting like the sacrifice on the cross. And the divine nature is going crazy inside of you. And that tree is growing branches and, and leaves and fruit is popping out all over the place. Because God's nature has been reflected in the seed of your spirit. Someone needs to get excited this morning. And so church, what's going to happen when all of these seven attributes or qualities come together and work together? It says in verse 8, For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, there's that word again, increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Peter is talking about becoming fruitful. Right? He's talking about fruit producing Christians. Because you see, church, God has a lot of Christians with, with no fruit. They're still Christians, but nothing is coming out of their lives that God can use. And why would God bless somebody that's unfruitful? Now, church, fruit has three things going for it that I want to share with you. Number one, fruit is always visible, right? You've never seen invisible fruit, right? You can always see it, right? Fruit is visible. <laughs> Secondly, fruit always bears the character of the tree of which it is a part. Because apple trees don't produce mangoes and orange trees don't produce grapes. Because that's not the character of the tree. It reflects the character of the fruit that it is a part of. Thirdly, fruit is always for the benefit of somebody else. Because any fruit eating itself is rotten. It's, it's decaying. Because when you see fruit eating itself, that's, that's rotten fruit, right? What do we call it? We say it's, it's fruit. 
right? It's Afrikaans word. I guess we've got to throw some Afrikaans words in. Because fruit exists for somebody else to consume. And you see, church, when you see this seed shaking and God moving inside of you, and you're discovering all this stuff because the Spirit is now taking over your soul, you're going to start discovering something that is now visible like a, a pregnant woman. Just like a pregnant woman, you could only hide that seed that is growing and popping out for so long, right? It's going to become so obvious that something is going on inside of you. So not only will you become visible, but you will also reflect the character of the tree of which you are a part. You are going to look more and more like Jesus. And church, so what happens if you say, listen, I don't want to apply these seven qualities to my life. And you say, you know what, I'm saved and, and that's enough for me. Look at what verse 9 says. It says, for the one who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. That is a big wow statement right there. He says, if you don't have these qualities, church, you're thinking short-term. Or perhaps you're not even thinking at all. Because as an example, church, any mother who's only thinking nine months is, is thinking in sh short-term, right? You should be thinking at least 18 years. You can't be thinking nine months. If you think in nine months, you're blind, right? There's a whole lot more in store. Nine months is just the introduction. That's short term, you're not thinking long term. Peter says, for those who lack these qualities, you're not thinking. You don't have the bigger picture. You are just living day by day. You know, it's like getting your salary and you go out and blow every last cent, church, the first day. You're thinking short term. You're not thinking long term because you've got another 29 days before you eat again. And what Peter is showing us here at church is that if we lack these qualities, we are missing the bigger picture of both time and eternity. Because you won't become fruitful, life won't become meaningful. And he says the root problem is the person who won't develop these qualities on the spiritual level has forgotten his purification from his former sins. And in effect, what he's saying, church, is that you forgot Calvary. You forgot the cross. And whenever we forget the cross, we are in serious trouble. I'm in trouble and you are in trouble when we forget the cross. When that just becomes something that's happened 2,000 years ago, we are in serious trouble. And then why worry about developing these qualities anyway? But if the seed of your divine nature is developing and growing and expanding and you are fulfilling the divine blueprint of the cross and all that it was meant to accomplish. Church, how can we not want to grow when we think about the cross? We have to become Christians that are committed to growing. We have to become Christians that are committed to supplying or developing these qualities. Because look how he ends this passage. Verse 10 and 11 says, 
Therefore, brothers and sisters, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choice of you. For as long as you practice these, these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be abundantly supplied to you. You see what it says, church, abundantly supplied to you. And it made me think of something. You know what? You're either going to make it in by the skin of your teeth or there's going to be an abundant supply into the kingdom of heaven. And church, as I close today, I want to invite you this week, today, throughout your quiet time, I want you to think about the cross. I want you to think about the cross just in case you forgot why you're doing this, this Christianity thing. And I want to invite you to ask yourself this question. Did Jesus die for me and give me his divine nature so that I could just remain in seed form? Or did he die and give me the divine blueprint so that I could grow and develop fruit that leads to Christ-likeness? A Christian who has grace and peace multiplied to him in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. I want to encourage you today, church, don't forget about the cross. Don't forget about eternity. And don't forget what you already have. And church, you know, I want to leave you with a scripture this morning, but I want to, I want to say for all of us, let's not just be hearers of the word. Let's not just be hearers of this series or this word today. Let's be doers. Right? If not now, when? And I want to close by reading James chapter 20, James chapter 1, verses 22 to 25 for you. It says, But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, that there's, there's that word again, perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Can we say amen to the word of, of the Lord this morning, church? Can we thank the Lord for his word? I was going to actually lead in a time of, of ministry after the service this morning, but it actually happened before the word, because I was going to invite people not to forget about the cross, but, but I think we've done that to, to a large degree. But I want to encourage you this morning, church, this week, in your time, in your quiet time, think about the cross. Don't forget what the price, what price has been paid for you and for me. And that has to change the way that we behave. Amen. Who's happy to be a Christian this morning? Huh? Raise your hands if you're happy to be a Christian. Would you shout Jesus if you're happy to be a Christian this morning? Jesus. Amen and amen. <laughs> well, Frontline Church, it's been so good to be with you all here this morning.
For those of you, as we mentioned, for tithes, if you want to give your tithes in the boxes when you leave, for those watching online, please look at the announcements as we close this morning. Have a blessed Sunday further and be a blessing to someone else this week. We love you very much. Have an awesome day further. Amen.